Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Hey guys, before we start, just a quick reminder. Powerhouse Politics is now on Spotify. Head over there, follow along, and tell your friends. Let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, I am coming to you from Beijing, the capital of the People's Republic of China. Wow. You may have heard, but the President of the United States is here. I, I have heard. Yes. I have heard. This is big. This is big. This is this is uh, President. This is Donald Trump's first trip to Asia as President of the United States, and you may have heard this. If you haven't, we've heard it. I think ten or fifteen times. This is the longest trip by any U.S. president to China, like in twenty-five years. And and you may have heard this, John, but this was the biggest election day yes. in the history of election days in the Trump era. A big day back home. I know you were covering in part of our live coverage uh, all the way from South Korea, talking about the Virginia governor's race. But a big rebuke to Trump back home while he's trying to do some big things back uh, abroad. And Rick, I've got a surprise for you and also a surprise for the loyal listeners of Powerhouse Politics. But I have a very special guest that I have brought on the podcast right now. Cecilia Vega, senior White House correspondent for ABC News, that, right here with me in Beijing. That was a very moon-esque, Huge. flattering Trump build-up to my presence here. I would like to say, award-winning, award-winning, I mean, living legend. Thank you. So, so uh, seriously though, this obviously North Korea has been the issue that has been the kind of dominant one. I would say North Korea followed pretty closely in Trump's mind by trade. Uh, as as he comes on on this first wing through Asia. But we noticed a dramatic change in tone on the issue of North Korea. In the build-up to this trip, it was talk of fire and fury, uh, totally and completely destroying North Korea, little rocket man being on a suicide mission. Um, When we saw Trump go to South Korea, you know, just about 35, 40 miles from the border, he didn't quite make it to the DMZ, Um, He had his press conference, and he was asked if he still thinks negotiating with North Korea or talking to North Korea is a waste of time. Take a listen to what he said. We sent three of the largest aircraft carriers in the world, and they're right now positioned. We have a nuclear submarine uh, also positioned. We have many things happening that we hope, we hope, fact I'll go a step further. We hope to God we never have to use. So two things here. First is he went right from saying that to saying that he hopes that Kim Jong-un comes to the table and accepts a deal, works out a deal. So he was absolutely no longer ruling out talks with Kim Jong-un and essentially seemed to be saying that's the direction this should all be going and expressing some optimism. And after having even set foot on land here, saying that diplomacy, that, that he was not going to tone down his rhetoric, he was going to still go there, 
we saw a softened tone from him. He's willing to sit down, uh, bring, come to the table, essentially. A completely different Donald Trump on this front, even though he had said, even when he was on the ground here, that he was going to take a hard line. So it was completely, completely different change now that he's here. So what happened, guys? Was he taking those pills? I mean, what the different is a different guy that, that 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 pops up on the other side of the world? Well, I mean, how do you come 35 miles from the border and say uh, Rocket Man, Fire and Fury? You just you, you can't you can't do it. I think it's it's easier said from the other side of the world. And now that he's here and sitting down with Abe, Prime Minister of Japan, and sitting down with Moon, President of South Korea. Uh, I'm not surprised that we're hearing a softer tone from him on this front. And what, and what we don't know is what was he told? What, 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 what was it in the kind of the preparation for this trip? It seems to me there was clearly a message that he heard that that, that, that that kind of rhetoric would be problematic with our allies or would provoke Kim Jong-un in some way. But, uh, but Cecilia, what happened with the because uh, I, I I was preparing to to uh, to go on World News tonight with David Muir, and as we were um, ready to go on the air, so six thirty Eastern time, uh, morning um, back in in Seoul, we were hearing that the president was on his way to the DMZ. It, it was not confirmed. The White House was saying nothing. The pool team that was on the ground traveling with the president was suddenly non. Uh, commutative, uh, what happened? Well, and, and let's just dial it back even a little bit further. White House aides had repeatedly insisted the president was not going to go to the DMZ, that very highly charged border between North and South Korea. They said there's no way. Uh, and then we get word that, in fact, he was in Marine One. Uh, he was on his way. Uh, Sarah Sanders was with him. John Kelly was with him. Uh, there was an entourage of aides that were with him, and they were headed there and then we found out they were five minutes from landing and they had to pull out. The White House says it was because of bad weather, uh, that it was just not safe for them to go. We've been told the president was very disappointed. He had every uh, hopes of landing and, and making it there to see this tour, as so many past presidents have. Uh, it didn't work out for him in this case. Uh, they say weather is to blame. Well, you make a very good point that I think has been lost in a lot of this, which is the White House had told us not just that he was not going to go to the DMC, but they had basically built this whole story about why it made no sense to go to the DC, about how it was a cliched thing. There was absolutely no time in the schedule. They added this trip to Camp Humphreys instead uh, to, uh, you know, to, to, to visit with the troops. And uh, the, the Vice President Pence had already gone, so the, the decision was made not to go. Now, as we were told, Marine One was on the way. They pulled back because of weather. We're told this had been in the planning for some time. So, essentially, they... You going to say the word? They lied. I think in this case, I can actually say they lied to us. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you like can. Word, I, uh, and, and we've got a... We don't know why, but one can assume uh, pretty, I think, surely that the security risk for a president, especially this president, going to the DMZ is higher than ever. Uh, so that they don't want this out there, obviously. Uh, why they didn't say, we don't know, we can't tell you. The president did say uh, in the, on, on a departure on the South Lawn a few weeks ago, you'll be surprised. 
you'll be surprised. So perhaps he was being a little more forthcoming than his own aides? I don't know. I fully get the security question. I mean, that obviously... And by the way, with the, the Peter Alexander just walked by. So this this is real time, you know, podcast. Uh, can can, oh, can you give in. us? Can you give us a quick? Uh, we, we won't tell anybody at NBC about this at all. Look at this name dropping. Uh, but, uh, Look at this shameless name tell dropping. Us what you got? So the best part about the DMZ tour is you'll remember at the briefing that we had in the White House last week that they said, "Yeah, there's no chance. We're definitely not going." It's so cliche. Of course, this was in the work for in the works for weeks. So. Um, Anyway, that's all the help I can give ABC on this trip. But it's great to see you. Networks helping networks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I, so I, I, I get the security concern. I totally get that. And I get why they wouldn't tell us. But I think you're going a step further when you develop a counter story that is entirely untrue. Right. Let's take a pause in this conversation, and we'll be right back after the break with more discussion of the president's big trip and the big election losses that he suffered. Are you hiring? Join the over 3 million businesses that use Indeed.com for hiring. You can post a job in minutes and manage your candidates from an easy-to-use dashboard. Post your next job on the world's number one job site, Indeed.com. Hello, you have one new voice message. Hey, Christina, I'm frustrated. I still want to do whatever I can until we find out what happened. A murder on Orchard Street. The trigger man, he's out there somewhere. Where'd that gun go? His story is I hope that killer always sleeps with his eye open. Seven heart-pounding episodes streaming on abcnews.com with reports on ABC's Nightline. And listen to the podcast, Dive Into the Case, Help Catch a Killer. Here on Cape Cod, the summer is wonderful. This is a place where people leave their doors open. A killing on the Cape. There hadn't been a murder in Truro for 30 years. It was everyone's worst nightmare. Jealousy, anger, secrets, sex, and money. Believe me, everyone in this story had a motive. I couldn't imagine who could have killed her. Six heart-pounding podcasts. Follow the clues, the evidence, the new interviews. Listen now. And then, don't miss the explosive two-hour documentary television event, Friday night, November 24th, on ABC. Is the right man in jail? I I was also struck by the timing of all of this, uh, because it it happens at a time when uh, politics back home is rocking Trump's world. And... It, it seemed to me that the president was showing a little bit of restraint. Do we know if he was watching election results? He did finally tweet and say that Ed Gillespie is basically a loser. But uh, was he dialed in and is the White House now dialed in to the, the full extent of what just happened back home? Well, what was interesting on that is that he had tweeted, I think, and Rick, you're the one with access to uh, to all the great internets back home because we're, we're in China and we're a little bit limited in our access, a little bit. Um, but I think that it was 15 or 19 hours earlier he had tweeted uh, the importance of Virginians getting out to vote for uh, Fred Gillespie and how he was going to turn around the failing economy and, and, and fight the rampant crime uh, on the streets of Virginia that the Democrats had, had ushered in. Uh, and then suddenly uh, Ed Gillespie was a loser. A loser and, and not the only loser of the night either. I mean, this was a sweeping rebuke of Donald Trump and Trumpism. And, and the, the Democrats... 
they just did it the old-fashioned way. They turned out their people. They remade the electorate. There are all these remarkable stories about first-time candidates, uh, uh, minority candidates, transgender candidates, female candidates, people that are came out and were inspired by the Trump era and went and voted. And the, this was a really stinging night for the White House that I think is going to test the president in new ways, not just for the midterms, but for immediate governing strategy and just in political reaction. Uh, now the president... Uh, has lost, and he's lost a big one, and we know that President Trump doesn't like to lose. And and is it fair, Rick, do you think 10 months in that this race is a referendum on Donald Trump? Oh, I think last night was a referendum on Trumpism. There's no question in my mind. When you look at the the demographic groups and who showed up, uh, it, this was a reaction to the politics of uh, of the last year. There's no doubt about that. And then I think in the in the big races, I mean, you had uh, a race in New Jersey that wasn't even close with Chris Christie's lieutenant governor going down. Of course, very close ties to President Trump there. In Virginia, Ed Gillespie tried to do a dance, but he, even though didn't campaign with President Trump, he did get those tweeted endorsements. And he ran on issues that would make Trump, Trumpism proud. He ran about uh, a campaign about gang violence from MS-13. He ran a campaign about immigration. He ran a campaign about Confederate monuments. He even had a mailer about NFL players uh, kneeling during the national anthem. Uh, hey, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but Jeff, Jeff Zeleny just walked by. I, can, can we get him for, for, for a very quick? Uh, Jeff, we won't take a lot of your time. I know you're with CNN now, but we have, we have Rick Klein on the line. Uh, we just want a very quick answer from you. We're here, we're here in the lobby of the, of the uh, China World Hotel. Uh, was this, is this the beginning of a wave of what happened in Virginia as you stand here in Beijing? It's interesting um, because I think Virginia and New Jersey, no two races in America are, you know, get more attention and perhaps are overinterpreted than Virginia and New Jersey just because of their timing. And, and watching this from uh, Beijing, it seems all the more so because it's all uh, networks we're going to talk about. But I do think it's uh, – <clears throat> I'm all choked up. <laughs> I do think it's, it's, I do, it is. I do think here. it's a trend. It's an absolute trend about what Republicans in 2018 are worried about. It's a 2018 issue for Republicans. Way too soon to say it's a 2020 issue because uh, Barack Obama is a good example of that. Midterms are tough. Presidential races are totally different. John Carl with the big booking. Jeff Zellany, thank you for joining us. <laughs> CNN's Jeff Zellany, one, one of our... Uh, a big shout-out hello to Rick Klein. Rick Klein. My pal. <laughs> thank you, sir. We just um, need some CBS representatives. And we're good to go here. As well as we'll ever going to be able to say it, by the way, uh, uh, Rick. So I, I sent a message uh, from over here to um, to Frank Luntz, who, of course, was part of the 1994 uh, Republican team, you know, uh, advising uh, then minority leader Newt Gingrich and predicting there would be a wave in 1994. He also predicted a wave in, in 2010. So I asked him, I sent him a, an email from over here, are we seeing a wave this time? And I got a one-word response, and he said yes. Yes. It's the wow. beginning of a wave. Well, he saw these numbers, and, and literally from Washington State to Maine, uh, you had issues that were on the ballot. I mean, just small ones like a Medicaid expansion that, uh, that, uh, that is now going to place over in Maine. Uh, the, the fact that in Washington State, Democrats now control all of the government, so there's a Western kind of wall of opposition that's out there between California, Oregon, and Washington. Look, these are small sample sizes, and, and, and Zeleny's right. We overread these things because it's the only thing going on. But every, all politics are national these days. One thing I'd note, though, guys, is that, yes, Democrats can take a little bit of a deep breath, but 
if you think you're allowed to breathe in the Trump era, you haven't been paying attention. And these news cycles move so quickly and the president reacts so quickly to think that this suggests or, or guarantees anything, I think, is a total overreading of this situation. So Democrats, they should feel very good about where they stand today. They know there's a way to, to motivate their voters in a way they weren't motivated a year ago. That doesn't mean, though, that they will be similarly motivated a year from now. It's just mind-blowing to me that it was only a year ago that we were all sitting around in Times Square watching those returns come in. And then I ended up at the Javits Center for Hillary Clinton's party. I mean, that was a year ago. Yeah, well, time, so you know this. I mean, time, time has moved differently in the last year. <laughs> that's, that's part of the point of President Trump. So, so give me your percentage chance, Rick, that we have uh, an upset victory for the Democrats in Alabama in the Senate race. That, that to me is the most interesting political question of the, of the yeah, immediate question, because December 12th, you have this. I, I, it's low. You can't really predict turnout uh, uh, there. Uh, we know about Roy Moore's very flaws. I'll say 25 percent. I mean, I think in a typical year in Alabama, it's like two percent chance. So, yeah, there's, I, I think one question that I know we're going to be posing to Democrats we talked to today is how much do you invest? Because that's not there's not an easy answer to that question, because one thing about nationalizing these races is that the Democratic Party's brand. We saw it on their poll out this week. It's still kind of dirt in large parts of the country. Alabama, probably one of those places. So you get the liberal base energized, but there's simply not enough liberals to win in a state like Alabama. You need to vo- you need to find uh, other voters. And th- look, that, that's another point about last night. Virginia, New Jersey, they're blue states. They went for Hillary Clinton. Virginia, we know it's been trending blue uh, for a long time. They have two Democratic senators. They now elect Democratic governors on a pretty regular basis. That's not Alabama. But this wave, that's right, this wave of, of enthusiasm out there, they might be able to capture some of that, and, and it might be that they've got the, the right set of circumstances in Alabama. That would be a true shocker. And, and if you're a Democratic candidate running for Senate in Alabama— I think the first thing you want is for the National Party to attack you, not support you. All right, Rick, hey, we, we've, we've, <laughs> yes. we've, we've just about got to go here because uh, it, it, it's very late and, and we, we haven't. <laughs> my jet, I need more jet like pills. But, but before we <laughs> Pop go, another one of those pills. Um, Cecilia, the, the, you, you were watching. Uh, I we, was, was still flying back from uh, down here from Seoul. You, you came here. You, you got here early. Uh, uh, I was on the press charter. You came on uh, Korean. What were you on? Korean Air. Korean Air, yes. Um, so so give, me, give me your impressions of Donald Trump's first moves in China, the, 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 the country that he just relentlessly attacked as, as, as a candidate. China, China, China. What, what were your impressions? Oh, I got to say that is all I could hear in my head was China, China, China. Uh, as you're watching the president play tourists with Xi Jinping, the tour guide, uh, taking them to the Forbidden City, uh, the president and the first lady sitting there watching this traditional Chinese opera late tonight and actually looking like he had a really good time, walked up and shook hands with each of the actors in this, this opera, the performers in this opera, uh, and they're having a late dinner. But, to, you know, all of this is fun right now. He looks like he's having a great time, and uh, it, it goes back to what we were saying about being so close to the border in South Korea. I think things are, are different when you're here and you're president than when you are candidate Donald Trump, as we can say with many different things covering this president. Uh, tomorrow they get down to business. Tomorrow will be the hard conversations about this president pushing Xi to pressure North Korea uh, and when it comes to trade as well. Um, So I think things are fun today and tomorrow will be a different story. 
All right, to uh, Cecilia Vager, award-winning senior <laughs> uh, White House correspondent for ABC News, uh, terrific colleague uh, to the entire team here on the ground. Uh, we've got Pat, Catherine, Devin. Uh, we've got Dave Rind back in, uh, back in New York. Um, we've got Justin in Washington. Two Justins, actually, but uh, 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 we, th that's all the time we have for this edition, the special edition of Powerhouse Politics, Dateline, Beijing. Rick, uh, we'll see you uh, next week, unless we have an emergency podcast later this week. Thanks.